Hello beautiful, you are listening to episode 87 of the Africana Woman podcast. Chulu is my name, I'm a writer, self-branding coach, entrepreneur and mentor. This show is the home of African women's stories. We share ideas, triumphs, challenges and lessons from our perspective as women. Our library is a step to cementing our place in history. Her story, your story is powerful. Thank you so much for tuning in. Welcome to all the new listeners and welcome back, family. Click the subscribe button to make sure you are always first to know when a new episode drops. Get this. We are 12 conversations away from the 100th episode. Therefore, we are having a live podcast recording with a live audience right here at Komushi Garden in Kabwe on September 24th. Mark it on your calendar and start preparing. Our dress code is Afro-chic. Darling, come looking like the African royalty that you are. <laughs> Go ahead and sign up by clicking the link in the show notes. Even if you're not in Zambia, you can still participate, so make sure you sign up too. It is July which means our Know Your Roots, Grow Your Purpose wellness retreat is happening on 29 to 31st July. My level of excitement, I beg. (laughs) I am so in love with the women that have already signed up because they all have such beautiful energy that complements each other. And more than anything, I think that July is a great time to let off some steam. You know, we've reached the middle of the year and really we need to check in on ourselves, right? I think that divine inspiration and creativity are born out of new environments and experiences. So I'm so excited about the breakthroughs that will come up for each individual who is attending. Now we have a few slots open. My beloved, you are invited to join. So find out more details about the retreat in the show notes or visit africanawoman.com. As we get into this episode, I must mention some trigger warnings. Our guest talks about grief and she mentions suicide. If you are not in the space to hear that, please give yourself grace and don't listen. You can revisit this episode at a later date. Mweni Chola is a Zambian creative who is 20 years wise. I honestly don't know why our society shuns learning from youth. We discuss some heavy topics and yet the light of her beautiful soul shines through and you cannot help but fall in love with her. Here is our conversation. Mweni Chola is a 20-year-old poet, writer, spoken word artist, podcast host, YouTuber, TV and radio presenter, and generally an all-round creative. Currently, she is also pursuing a bachelor's degree in biological sciences. Mweni is a huge believer in using art to break barriers and essentially save lives. Guys, help me welcome Winnie to the Africana Woman podcast. Hi. Hi. I'm so happy to be here. I'm excited. 
First of all, guys, like I should just let you know that it is cold. Like here in Zambia, our winter has started, but we we were like, you know, we're saying fashion beats the weather, and we're braving it for you. True, that's very true. <laughs> but it's cold. Oh my goodness! So I came across when he, um, when actually I think I I saw your podcast on Apple. Um, podcasts like it was a, a featured podcast and I was like oh really cool so I reached out to you and then now we've just discovered we actually live in the same town which is crazy I love this it's it's crazy small world <laughs> so I always start with this question what is your favorite childhood memory oh that's easy actually <laughs> My favorite childhood memory will have to be every time I got punished because <laughs> the only punishment my grandparents would give me is locking me up in a room then giving me something to read. So that's where everything for me started from. So they'd make me read something, then ask me to either narrate it or write it in my own way. So, yeah, and that went on for a very long time because I was always getting punished for something. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's it. So, what are you being naughty about? Like, you're always being punished about what? <laughs> First of all, I didn't like school. I hated going to school. And I would play too much. So, I would run away from home. And when I come back, I know I'm being locked in a room to read but eventually, I started enjoying it, so it was no longer a punishment, but just fun. So yeah, basically hating school and overplaying. You grew up with your grandparents? Yes, yes. Ah, are you an only child? No, I have one sister. Are you the Kasuri or the oldest? Yes, 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 yeah, <laughs> I am. <laughs> Representing. And representing the Kasulis of this world. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that's nice because as I mentioned in her bio, when he is a, a poet and a writer, and even when you listen to her podcast, like her introduction, it's got this, you know, spoken word rhythm going. I was like, first when I listened to it before I even saw your bio, I was like, okay, this is like you know, it's melodious. It's like it's got a rhythm going to this. So it's really cool. How did you branch into now, you know, um, not just reading, but writing? Okay, it's it's a very long story, but I will try to cut it short. So I used to live in um, Mansa. That's like Sanfia way, way down. And so when I was 10, because of the story I told before, my grandparents realized I probably wouldn't finish school because it was in the village and half of my friends weren't going to school. So they decided to send me to Kitwe for school, basically. And when I went there, everything was different. It was a whole different life. I didn't have a phone because I'm 10 years old. So I started writing letters in the beginning, letters to my grandparents that they wouldn't read. So instead of writing on a piece of paper, I bought a book. Then I'll just write letters almost daily. And then when I went to high school, I auditioned for the school play. And I told the director, I think I want to write the script. I want to help you write the script. 
It's like, have you written anything before? It's like, I write letters. So I was like, oh, let me read them. And when he read everything, I was like, do you know that this is poetry? I'm like, what is poetry? <laughs> At the time, I didn't have much information. So that's where it started from. So he helped me kind of get exposed, listen to more poetry, go to poetry shows, and it just started from there. And then here we are. That is so cool. So what happened <laughs> to your parents, if I may ask? Oh, nothing really. <laughs> My mom was just working. She was living in Chingola at the time because she had my sister when she was about 16 then she had me like three years later my grandparents decided like they had to take part of the responsibility so yeah and when I came to Kitwe I couldn't stay with my mom because she was still pretty young and she was staying with her sister so I went to my other aunt yeah so basically I've never stayed or lived with my mom for longer than three months ever Mm. So she, she's pretty much around. My dad is also pretty much around mm. somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So in a sense, like, the parent figures were your grandparents. Yes, yes. Okay, okay. And then tell me a little bit more about them. What did they do? Oh, okay. So um, my grandma was into politics at the time, and my grandpa didn't do much (laughs) i just remember him going to church and writing a lot so i don't know but both of them kind of were into politics my grandma was more actively involved because she was like the outspoken one very clever so when i moved to kitwe they remained doing their thing also what i should mention should be my grandpa was a farmer so he did like most of farm management because my grandparents had farms and they were selling stuff that they would harvest and whatnot. Late 2019, they moved to Mufulera where they would just stay because they got older and their children just decided, okay, it's time for you to kind of retire. Interesting. So tell us more about like your journey now when you now started discovering what poetry is um, in high school Okay, so from where it started, when my director, drama director, kind of explained everything for me, I still didn't feel like it's something I wanted to pursue because I always wanted to act like it was just (laughs) drama for me. So he made sure I could do everything. And then in turn, I got a gig to work for ZNBC. I'm like 14 at this point, grade 10. And then after I graduated from high school, I didn't have much to do. So that's when I decided to start doing poetry away from school because the poetry we do in school is completely different from like a spoken word. So I also had to learn a different type of poetry at this point. But I just started from attending shows, doing like one poem and just forgetting about it. And then people just started calling me to go and perform. And then I started making videos recently because I haven't always been that confident about my poetry, but now I'm learning. And then in school, I started performing recently as well, and I've been here for almost three years. So the journey in itself 
only truly began when I accepted and kind of appreciated what I am able to do. But it's just ongoing, I should think. Okay, so I like the way that you slipped over that you were a TV show presenter at 14 years old. Let's just go back there. <laughs> yeah, like passing over and like, oh, it's just, just this custom one thing. No, girl, not everybody gets to do that. Like, tell us. <laughs> okay, so it's ICDB, International Children's Day of Broadcasting. And ZMBC used to come to my school because there's this one girl who used to do visual arts. She ended up being my best friend. So they came to interview her for fun time at the time. And I was just there. Then after they finished, because I was there for moral support. After they finished, uh, V asked me a question. She was like, what do you do? And I'm like, I don't do anything. I didn't say I do poetry or I act. Because at the time, I was still very shy. And then she, she just said, I love the way you speak. Do you want to come through in March for ICDB? Like, yeah, I can do that. And I'd always wanted to do TV, but I didn't think it was possible for a girl like me, you know. So um, I did What does ICDB. a girl like you mean? <laughs> no, at the time, I'm coming from like a whole village and I am very shy. I didn't have friends. Like I was just, I didn't have any form of self-confidence whatsoever. So I put myself at the lowest point and I just didn't think I could achieve anything. The dreams were there, but I didn't think they were achievable. So even when I was going there, I was, I was sweating. I remember I walked <laughs> to the NBC from like Chiwemwe where our home is. And I got there and like everyone was shocked. Like, are you 14? Like, yeah. So from being a TV presenter, which I didn't do so much, they moved me to ZNBC Radio 2 because they said, you you have a voice for radio and we don't have many TV shows you can do unless it's during ICDB period and we don't want to just keep you. So you can come through. I, I don't even remember, but I was given a show that V was producing, V is your period. I don't know, some people might know her. And I was writing the scripts. I was interviewing the guests. I was pretty much just doing everything. So from there, I actually moved to Radio Ichengelo in 2018. There I worked under um, Agents of Change Foundation. And I worked there for almost a year until I had to move to Mufulera and I couldn't just move back and forth. So I did TV and radio for a good four years. But yeah, it was it was a fun experience. I hope they were paying you. They were, but right now <laughs> I realized like yo like no shit, but you guys actually exploited me. Because <laughs> like they would they would give bus fare sometimes. They would give like popcorn and lollipops. You know, like you are a child, so they'll just give you peanuts, if I may say. And um, <laughs> you said popcorn, guys, guys, guys. Can we just be fast? How do you pay someone with popcorn? Amikanina, please, I beg. <laughs> no, ICDP is for children, right? So under eighteen. And what they'll do most of the time is they'll give you like those packs they give at parties 
where they give you like jiggies, popcorn, lollipop. And I don't know, just find that all the time. Sometimes I had to use my own money to actually go and work for them. Because at this point, I'm excited. I'm on TV. I'm on radio. People know me. But like, I look back now and I'm just like, you people didn't like me. Because <laughs> I feel like even not going back came as a decision of I have to find something better to do because if I am moving every day I'm using my mother's money half the time it's it's not worth it so yeah they they barely paid me to be honest okay so I think earlier you had mentioned that you had to learn a different type of poetry now for those of us who are not really familiar with you know different types of poetry could you just give us more information about that Okay, so in high school, we're doing what most would call narrative poetry. So it's the one that um, is done by a group of people. So it's high school students and you have to do gestures, you have to be in sync. It's more restricted. There are certain things you cannot do. Narrative poetry is the one that has a lot of these poetry techniques and words where you have to kind of stick to the rules. I remember even when I participated in a poetry competition called Nasaz. It was at the time, I'm not sure what it's called now. One of the judges told me, what you are doing is out of the rules. You are supposed to do it like your friends. And I'm just like, what, what does that even mean? So when I wasn't doing that anymore, I ended up winning. I got like an award, even though I, I was slowly out of the rules. Um, I started doing what is like spoken words. Spoken word is where you can just write anything you want, say it how you want. You don't have to follow a specific rhythm. You don't have to do like crazy gestures. You can do it by yourself. And that's that's what I feel I wasn't allowed to do with narrative because it's just, this is a script. This is what you have to say. Don't use these words because it's not allowed according to the rules. So yeah, there are actually more types it's different when you are writing or making a poetry submission in literal forms, different when you are performing, when you are reciting. So, yeah, it's, it's quite a lot. <laughs> so for me, I remember when, you know, when I was younger and the days I used to watch ZNBC and would get these poems where it's like, Africa, my Africa. And I'm like, Lord, where do we stop with this Africa, my Africa? Like, I can't do it. <laughs> like, can we evolve just a little bit more? Like, aha, those ones would, would drive me crazy. So I think when people say, like, poetry, like, that's the first thing that comes in my mind. Oh, mother. Oh, and no, the other one was AIDS. AIDS. <laughs> It has done what? And I'm like, oh my God. True. But I do, anyway, um, I think more recently I have um, been exposed to different poets and, you know, and just like what they're talking about is really, it's, it's, it's thought provoking. I think, yeah, that's a good way to put it. I feel like when you look at, for example, um, let's say if you compare comedy with um, poetry, they're kind of, they're kind of doing the same thing where they, they're using their, um, 
that vessel to help people to navigate difficult topics. You know what I mean? Because like Mm -hmm. comedy, they talk about serious things, but they're making you laugh about it. But, you know, but I think poetry also just helps you to move through those emotions instead of kind of hiding and running away from them. Tell us a little bit more about how, I don't know, where are you on your self journey of, you know, self-confidence? Because you've referenced that, you know, you, you were in a place where you didn't have that, you know, confidence in yourself. Um, I'm still moving and I love how you've kind of talked about what poetry is. I only started writing much when I went into a dark state (laughs) and it just kept me safe. It was like a shield and just drop your trauma there and people won't even know how deep it is just like a bunch of words so in terms of like self-confidence I'm still moving I've just decided to be very patient with myself because you never truly know yourself fully at one specific stage but I'm doing a whole lot better a year ago, actually not even a year, like three months ago, I wouldn't have done this because I wouldn't have thought I am worth being interviewed by you. I mean, <laughs> and I, a year ago, I started the podcast, which was a bold step. And I started it mainly because I knew people wouldn't see me, but I had things to share and just uh, things I wanted to communicate. So right now, out of 10, I would say I'm at a solid six, which is <laughs> which is huge. Also, it has just had so much to do with self-reflection on a daily where I tell myself, don't compare yourself to anyone and anything at all. Because sometimes our confidence is reduced, decreased or altered by the things that we see and our desire to be like the next person or to seem better than the next person. So just being myself and living to my own belief system and just telling myself I improve on a daily has been very helpful. So I'm a very, very safe <laughs> and cool place. Like I can't, I can't even believe I am here. I mean, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's been a journey and it's still ongoing, but I'm at a very, very comfortable state that's good to hear you know i think when it comes to mental health conversations Mm -hmm. it's become more prevalent more recently i know like back in Mm -hmm. my uni days which is very long ago like early 2000s and even before that we wouldn't be talking about oh you know my mental health and things like that but it's become something that people are talking more about and they're more open about and i guess more receptive to well anyway i i i don't know what's your experience with that because maybe i'm just assuming people are more open to having conversations around mental health that's that's actually very true. People are more open. We actually now have a lot of things specifically dedicated to mental health. And unfortunately, I think it's because we've seen a lot of suicide cases or suicide rates are going high and people just going to an extent where they publicly have to ask for help. People who post on social media, help me or kill myself, and you laugh about it. 
but the next minute someone is gone. So a lot of improvement has been made. I personally did not know much about mental health until like 2019. And ironically, so a few months later, I was experiencing just like the worst period of my life. And I understood what it was because I took time to learn even before I experienced it. So, yeah, there's been a lot of improvement, truly, compared to, like, way before. So what are people doing in terms of maintaining a healthy state of their mind? What has your experience been of that? Okay, I think it differs for, like, personal levels, but collectively, we've had more therapy services. Some are actually free We have people who counselors and therapists in public institutions like school, clinics, hospitals, and just conversations. I think conversations go a very long way where people know if they need help, they can find it at a certain place. So even just like speaking about it, raising more awareness, because if no one talks about it, we probably won't even know. So when people just educate others about mental health, that's also very helpful. So in a nutshell, it's been provision of therapy, counseling, whatever it may be, awareness and support groups, which have become a lot more as time has moved by. From your observations, do you think that there is a difference in the way that males handle their you know, their mental health and then females handle their mental health. Like, is there one that's more receptive to, you know, like the therapy and all of that? Or is everyone just like, okay, I need it. I'm going to get it. Oh, I, I love this question because it's something I took time to think about where mostly we'd go for like mental health talks and they say, people come and share your stories And it was 99% women. And it's not like the men weren't there, they were. And it's not like they didn't have stories, they did. But it's mostly because you know how there's a lot of expectation for men, especially when it comes to everything, actually. And so mental health, you won't hear people respond positively. Like most of the time, they're actually great people. But when men talk about battling some things like you're a man, just man up. So I feel like even when it comes to these conversations, it's mainly women. Unfortunately, men actually suffer more. I could give a very practical example. When my grandparents passed away, because they just passed away like four months in between. So it's almost the same period. I... I got to go for therapy because (laughs) I think I'm saying this a lot, but it became bad and I went for therapy and I could see my brother. I could see he, he needed the help as much as I did, but he didn't speak about it and people couldn't see because he could hide it so well. So I always wondered, like I talked to him, how do you feel? You wouldn't find him talking about how he felt. It just became so bad where now, like, stop going to school, would start passing out. And people just said, he's 
he's not okay. And like, yes, he's not okay, but he's not okay mentally. His mental state is not okay. So it's, it's, it's a whole lot harder on the men than it is on the women. And it's not necessarily because men don't want to speak about it or they don't want to open up or they don't want to ask for help. It's, I think they are a lot more concerned about what will people say because it's easier when I cry in public, but when it's a man, it's like, what's going on? So I feel like men's mental health is a whole different thing on its own and it actually does require a lot of attention and awareness. Well, first of all, my condolences for the loss of your grandparents. You know, sometimes when people say it was bad, I think we need to have a like a clear picture of what does bad look like? I know I've been through depression um, myself and it wasn't around grief, but it was more in terms of just not feeling, feeling like my, my life was, was uh, worth it, I guess. Or or like I was like, I felt like I did, I wasn't making a contribution in the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. I didn't like my job. I didn't like, um, I just didn't like what I was doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? So for depression for me was literally, um, okay. So first of all, insomnia, and then I was exhausted. There's a period where I just slept in bed for three days. It was like a public holiday. I was just in bed. I didn't eat I didn't bath. I didn't do anything. You know what I mean? And then I was also having anxiety attacks. So it's like, I just, it's like I couldn't breathe. You're just like, you know, um, and I'd be crying hysterically. And it was just, yeah, that was my bad. That's what it looked like. And I think sometimes why I'm asking you this is, Sometimes people don't even recognize that the things that they're experiencing are symptoms of depression. You know what I mean? But to be hear someone say, oh, these are the things that I was going through. And then you're like, oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm going through that. Okay, maybe I need to get some help. Yeah. Oh, um, I'm I'm assuming you're in a better place now. And I I thank God for that because that is a very <laughs> deadly <laughs> place to be in. But for me, how it started, and this is 2020, it's shortly after my 18th birthday. And like I said, my grandparents were my parents. So I, it's like my whole world revolved around them. And the thing with grief is I believe grief isn't different like there's no smaller grief than the other but circumstances surrounding it also kind of impact what becomes of it so my grandma wasn't like sick sick I I was with her the night before and then at six in the morning she was just rushed to the hospital and they said she was gone and it didn't make sense so you know what they say like the five stages of grief and whatnot it didn't make sense so we had to move because at this point, my grandpa had cancer. So he was bedridden for like a year. My grandma was the one taking care of him. And now everyone is like, how are we going to tell him? 
And that's like the first thing. So remember we got the call that she had passed away and my aunt started saying, don't cry. If you cry, you're going to alarm dad. And then we have to explain to him. And for me, it's like, I literally went outside the gate and I just sat there. I I don't know how I got there, why I went there, but like things just started running through my mind. Like what's going to happen now? So whilst I was there, within like 15 minutes, there was a counter at the house. They came to move everything because they decided the funeral will not be here. We'll have to find a way to tell him. And so that was like the very minute I just like, my normal self slipped out of my body. And now things just started happening in the most, (laughs) I don't even know what the word is, but... I remember we went there and my brother, that's why I even talked about like men's mental health. He didn't cry and no one even thought was Junior. Like my sister just went behind the house and was just lying there. He fainted because it didn't make sense. The whole funeral actually ended up lasting longer because my grandpa found out on the third day, no one knew what to say. So it's like we're having a whole funeral at one house and we had to go back home to act like nothing is wrong. And they would make me, because as the closest to my grandpa, they would make me go to him. And like I would stand at the door, cry, go wash my face, then walk into the room and would ask me, what's going on? He's like, no, she's still at the hospital. But um, they said she might be back soon. And like lying to him just didn't make sense to me. And at this point, I don't want to be the one to break the news because apparently there were some traditional things that needed to be put in place and whatnot. They had to wait for like his relatives to be there before they could say anything. And I'm just 18 years old. I don't know what's going on. I want to cry. I want him to know. I want to be there with him. Like, let's just cry together. Let's grieve together. But it was a whole three-day funeral without my grandpa knowing. And it's sad because we all knew he wouldn't be with us for long after that. So um, I remember after the burial, like they told him, he obviously didn't attend the funeral technically. He didn't attend the burial because he couldn't move. And all of these things were just breaking me every single day. And so after the burial, I started having nightmares because I just thought I could have done something. Like I I used to say, yesterday we were together. You could have told me. Maybe I could have known what to do, what to say. But obviously she didn't know. And I just kind of put most of the blame on myself (laughs) because funny enough, I was actually sick. And it was a Friday then we agreed on Monday, we're going to the hospital together. She would take me, like like she did since I was like one, because I started living with my grandparents when I was nine months old. After everything kind of settled, two weeks, I just started passing out. Like I would be walking, maybe wanting to go and just have some time spent with my grandpa. The next thing I know, I'm in bed. And my sister told my uncle who I was staying with, and then they just decided I have to be taken back to Kitwe, where I was initially staying before. So when I went there, 
now it's a whole different thing because like deep down and I even told my sister like if you move me from here you're taking away from my time to spend with my grandpa because I know I only have him for so long like I don't know when I'll just receive a call that he's not here I want to stay but then they're like no we have to figure out how to help you so I started having nightmares at this point and because of nightmares I just could not sleep like I would be awake for god knows how long and so they moved me to Kitwe Chimwemwe it didn't help cuz like there were a lot of people and you know when people don't understand it's like i'm just in bed i don't want to talk to anyone i don't want to do anything it's like no this child doesn't do chores or she doesn't talk to people and you know how african you know zambian funerals are people are still coming and it's like a random person or a friend of my mom's comes home and they're like oh my condolences and it's just like they've just like slice the knife through the wood and i just start crying and just takes me back there so my brother had a bit of knowledge on mental health so he decided i should go and stay with him and when i went to stay with him it was even better for me because it was just him the wife and myself who would go to work and i'll just lock myself in they wouldn't see me for 3 days i'll just be in my room crying i remember i would take like if there was medicine near me i would just take it I, i didn't even think about it and he decided i should start going for therapy and i'm like i don't need therapy just let me grieve that's the thing <laughs> with grief because i made myself believe so many things and at this point it's like two months after so the first time my brother wanted to take me for therapy i refused so this is uh, my grandma passed in april may june near july i was like all right it's okay i would do it and he said okay you can start in august the month i was supposed to start my grandfather passed away and i got the news when i was burying a friend so a friend of mine died and at the burial my sister gave me a call like someone should bring you home right now because this is what happened and it's like what's even going on i can't start telling people who are mourning to take me so now i wanted to walk from i don't even know if anyone knows these places but i wanted to walk from kanais to chiwewe on foot and like i just have to go so fortunately a friend of mine took me back home and it it's just like the cycle repeated itself and obviously you know when family pillars die there's a lot of disorganization in the family and most people would say no if grandma was here if grandpa was here there's always something easy to say but it would just make me think a lot everything just didn't make sense so for the first 6 months i was just in denial but it was clear to tell that i wasn't okay so um august september I had to come to uni which made it even worse I was like you people don't love me I'm about to die and you're sending me to school so I came to uni barely attended classes was just crying in my room every single day I went back home and my brother could tell from like I lost a lot of weight 
So it was just like, okay, if you have to drop out of school, that's all right, but you have to get help. So I started going for therapy slash counseling at Kito Central, and it helped, but the first few sessions are not easy because you have to tell them the one guess. So it's like I start relieving the trauma and they had to take it back to when I was young because there was this issue with my dad again. And so I didn't have a relationship with my mom for a very long time. So my only parents and the only people I knew 100% loved and cared for me were my grandparents. And now that they weren't here, it's just like I was alone and I didn't want to be alone. So suicidal thoughts crept in. I had to be watched. I remember my brother telling the therapist that if there's a way for me to not get any meds, it would be best because I used to overdose on any medication I was given. So it it did help a lot, but it took a long time, to be honest. And being in a dark place really is relative. I feel like sometimes people think if you didn't self-harm, if you didn't attempt suicide, if you didn't do this and that, then your situation was better. But there's nothing like that. So just like you, I didn't eat. I barely slept. I would just lock myself in the room. And funny enough, that's when the podcast even started. I made the Anchor account after taking like, I don't know, 12 of ibuprofen. I don't even know what I thought that would do. And I just thought, let me just find someone to confide in. So I made the account so I could just record episodes to listen to myself. But I feel it's God. I was just kind of instructed to just share because when people say sharing is caring, personally, I feel like sharing isn't food or money, even sharing your story to encourage people who might going might be going through a similar thing. So this took like almost two years. Even now, I still have those moments, but I'm a whole lot better. So I would say if you can afford therapy or if you can find free counseling, just take it up. It's helpful. Yeah. Wow. First of all, thank you for sharing your story. There's so many things in there. Oh my (laughs) word. Like, uh, so many things that we could talk about. But I think, you know, I think the the last point you were making about, you know, not comparing your, your, your grief to somebody else's grief. Like, oh, but she lost two parents so and I just lost one, so it's not as bad. There's nothing like that. Your grief is your grief. Your pain is your pain. It is unique to you mm-hmm. and, you know, you have to do what you need to do to to get on the other side. And mm-hmm. it's interesting because, you know, I've, I think I, I don't know where I posed this question. I've got a blog um, as well as a podcast. And I, I've been wondering around whether as Africans, Zambians, whether, you know, our grieving process is, is, is a good way to do it. I don't know how to describe it or is a, a better way. <laughs> Cause you know, when I compare to, for example, um, Western countries, right. They, yeah. 
because our families are so big, you know, we we experience death more, I think. But you know, you yeah. find somebody like in the states, and you know, when someone dies, maybe that's the first person in their family who has died in their you know twenty years or whatever it is, and they just like they just and I and I always found it so um, so different to the way that we, you know, we do it. And then also even just their practices of how they, they grieve or they bury their dead. Because like you said, in, in here in Zambia and Africa, we have the funeral house and then, you know, people come and then they'll come and cry with you. Now, traditionally what happens is like, you know, some, when someone arrives, then they start, there's like a chief mourner that's in, in, yeah. in the home like inside is the inside the the buildings like the women and then outside the men are seated under a tent or something so there's like always like a chief mourner who is always there to receive people as they come and grieve but like you were saying is that each time someone comes and you know does arrives as a, to mourn it was like they're slicing that pain that wound open again you know i don't know like what are your thoughts about the way that we um, grieve as a culture? I think it has two sides, really. There's the side of family, where there are funerals where someone might just say, do you know that child, the friend, not the friend's friend, the grandma has passed away. And they're like, oh yeah, let's, let's go. I feel like the most important Personally, <laughs> anyway, the most important thing for me, even when that happened, because like I mentioned, my grandparents went to politics and they were very well known. So it was when we arrived at the graveyard, because at the funeral house, even now, I don't know half of the things that were happening because it's like I wasn't even there. My spirit was just out of my body and I barely paid attention to anything. But when we went to the graveyard for the burial, and it was during COVID, I was thinking, actually, we went to the, to the hospital, the mortuary, because they said, no, you can't do body viewing, you can't take da, da, da. So we arrived at the hospital in Mufulera, and the whole place was packed. Like, there were, I don't know, thousands of people. And I'm thinking, maybe they're different families because of that's how things were being done at the time. And then when my grandma's younger sister arrived, like you mentioned, it was like a chief mourner and whatnot. There's something they call Chimbo Chamalilo. I'm not sure if you've heard about it. And when it was time to start, like everyone gathered. And the first thing I thought was, wow, this woman actually had impact. Like she didn't leave an ordinary life. She actually left something and impacted so many people. So that was also very encouraging. And then there were times where I would <laughs> go to town in Mufulera, like months after I'd go to town. And because I, I used to go shopping with my grandma every day, like where she was, I was. So people knew me. And then after, I remember going into one of my mom's shops 
And I found a woman who saw me and she just started crying. She just broke down and she just mentioned how seeing me meant my grandma had to be beside me. And she started crying and I'm, I'm too emotional. <laughs> just started crying and this is in public. And I remember crying for that whole week again because she didn't even say anything. And it was just like a reminder. So, but I feel like in terms of like emotional support, even financial support, and just the whole aspect of family, where family isn't limited to blood, where family is just knowing each other, it's it's very helpful. It, it did help a lot. Because even know how I'm imagining Zambian funerals specifically are different from like this days because you need cooking and with a funeral that had almost like half of the town, there was so much work that needed to be done and people helped, like people really helped and just lessened the burden. What they even said, those of us who are like closely related, weren't even allowed to like work and whatnot. If we didn't have this many people to help, we would have had to do it. But people just said, no, just chill. <laughs> I mean, you can't chill, but just like have a break. There's also where people just come funerals just for just food, stories, just so they can have a story to go and tell, gossip. So those are like the disadvantages mainly, but the bigger aspect of it is very encouraging and yeah there's a lot of gratitude on my side for the way things are done at funerals in Zambia yeah yeah I think that yeah like you're saying there's always like there's the good and then there's the the pros and the cons you always have those two aspects it's like two sides of the same coin you know yeah um yeah yeah Wow. I guess, what advice would you give to somebody who, who, is, who is grieving? And, I, and, you know, I think we, one thing that uh, we tend to get wrong is that grieving is just a person, but there's different things that we can grieve. You know, it could be grieving the loss of a job could be grieving an opportunity maybe you applied for something and you didn't get it it could be i don't know you know grieving so many things that you you thought that you would have but then you don't necessarily you don't have it anymore or it slipped out of your fingers so what what advice would you give to somebody who is is going through the, a grieving process Ooh, um the first thing I'd love to say is our, I don't know if I can call them grief journeys, but we all grieve differently. So it's not necessarily about giving advice. I can't say I did this, do this, or I can't say this helped me, it will help you. But personally, I started reminding myself that, and this is in relation to people mostly, I started reminding myself that grief will never be stronger than love. I read somewhere that grief is just love with nowhere to go. So you have to actually allow yourself to grieve because some people suppress it. Some people want to rush it. Some people think it's a straight line, it's linear. But just take your time, 
focus more on the good. I know you can't just forget everything, but what helps me most of the time is when I say, I'm going into town and my grandma isn't there. I remember how old I had to take a break or she'd get tired easily. And I just laugh about it and I continue moving on and do what needs to be done. But the advice I think I should give is it's it's not a certain thing because someone listens to one of um, the episodes I did and she was like, what did you do? Did you deal? And I was like, I don't think we ever deal with grief completely. You can't deal. Sometimes you just find ways of coping, but just allow yourself to feel everything that should be felt. Don't compare. Again, like comparison shouldn't even be a thing. (laughs) Don't compare. Don't say, oh, that person lost this person and now they're in great shape. And when it comes to grieving things, it's almost the same thing. Allow yourself. Nothing is too small. So if you are grieving a pencil, (laughs) if you are grieving a friend who's still alive, you just have to, first of all, show mercy to yourself. Understand the circumstances. Understand the situation. Understand that... You just have to feel what should be felt. Because when I was giving my grandma, I was giving a scholarship. And now I tried to think, no, this is, this is small. But at the end of it, it still hurt. Because I was supposed to go to this. I was very excited. But it didn't happen. And it's during the same period of time. So I kind of decided to leave that out and just grieve one thing, and it didn't work. So grief is, ish, my God. Grief is really something, and it's a journey that is particular to individuals. I won't grieve the way you grieve, even if we're grieving the same thing. So when we lost grandma, the way I grieved is not the way my sister grieved, and it's our grandma. Like We love her the same, I should think. So... Yeah, it differs for everyone. It's not a straight line. It doesn't have a time period or a time frame when you should start, when you should stop, what you should do, what you shouldn't. Yes, so I think the main thing I can say about grief is it's different for everyone, regardless of what you are grieving, who you are grieving. It's not a straight line. There's no time frame. There's no period. There are no rules. There are no do's and don'ts. So just be patient with yourself and just feel everything that should be felt. That is beautiful. Okay. Unfortunately, all good things must come to an end. And this has been a (laughs) insightful conversation. Okay, Mweni, please tell the audience, how do they find you? How do they support you? Where are you on this internet world? Okay, so first of all, I host a podcast called Learn My Name. So Learn My Name podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, like everywhere. And the easiest way to find it, if you can just search, is on Instagram, podcast Learn My Name. There's a link tree in the bio. 
personal Instagram is Mweni CM or just Mweni. I don't think there are so many Mwenis here. On YouTube, which is what I'm working on mostly, it's just Mweni. That's why I share most of my poetry and short films, kind of. Facebook, Learn My Name podcast, personally, I don't use it much. I think, yeah, I think that's all. Nice. Are there any projects that you're working on um, that will be coming out soon? Yes. So last Saturday, I published the final episode of season two. So right after my exams next month, we're starting season three and it's more exciting. When I go home, I'm about to work on a short film that I'm very excited about. It will be on my YouTube channel. I think that's it. In terms of poetry, I already have bookings, so I'll probably be performing a whole lot more in Kitwe. So if you're in Kitwe, hit me up. <laughs> I'll give you details. But um, the podcast, which should be July, and the short film, which will be very soon, right after we are done with everything. I love, love, love it. Okay, my dear, it has been a pleasure to speak to you. And I'm just so grateful that you're able to come on and share your story. And it's been great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm extremely honored and grateful. And I hope to see you soon. Yes, yes, we have to make that happen. For sure. <laughs> that one's for sure. <laughs> I loved learning from Winnie. She taught me that in the case of loss of a person, you know, everyone has a right to grieve from the baby to the elders. I have also decided that as a culture, we have a great support system, you know, when it comes to logistics, that is people to cook, resource allocation, all of that great stuff. We do that so well. But the emotional support, guys, the emotional support is bad. We have a tendency to police grief by forcing someone to contain it in a defined amount of time. And, you know, even in the process of, you know, the before the burial, the women will scream, they will wail, they will shout, you know, they're literally moving that energy out of their body, you know, and yet the men are not given that same grace. Why? Because it would make them look weak, maybe. We don't know how to talk to children about death. Instead, we hide behind the excuse of protecting them. The real grief really begins when everyone leaves after the burial and you are left alone with the stark realization of the person's absence from your daily routine. Right there is when we need to do better as a society. Now, my sister, Herdeen Mercia, teaches about preparing a grief plan. This means that when you are in a good space mentally, write down 
What are your grieving coping mechanisms? It could be, you know, you find yourself remembering somebody and, you know, the pain and the anguish comes back and you have to stop everything that you are doing. And in that moment, you could take a walk in nature. It could be having a centered bath or listening to a certain kind of music, or journaling, or reading, whatever it is, figure out what works for you. Who is your support system? Who can you talk to in those hard moments? When you see yourself going down a spiral, who do you notify so that they can check in on you? When you have a grief plan set and at a later date you are triggered, you will know what to do. So as you do not get sucked into a downward spiral for an extended amount of time. Now, at Africana Woman, we give our guests their roses in the now. <laughs> So please find Mweni on Instagram at Mweni underscore CM. And you know what? I just, I just really feel it in my heart that, you know, she is going to go far. Like she's such a beautiful soul, so talented. And I just cannot wait to see where life takes her. Please tell her you heard her on the Africana Woman podcast. Take a screenshot of the episode and tag us. We want to keep the conversation going. The mission of Africana Women has always been to tell more African women's stories. One of the ways that we are doing this is by helping you start your own podcast. If you have a burning idea and are interested in launching a podcast, but you don't know where to start, contact us at africanawoman at gmail.com. Your story is important. My playground is Instagram. Find me at Chulu by Design, tag me, tell your friends about the Africana Woman podcast, and again, leave a review, especially on Apple Podcast, because that helps us spread the word about the show to more African sisters out there. So talk to you soon. This has been a production of Africana Woman Media. <laughs> <laughs>